Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night, the number one show at 5 o'clock. And we're on, is it TriCast? We are on WABC 770 on your dial, WABCradio.com, WLIR in Long Island, and uh, 770, 970, uh, The Answer. And um, we have one great show for you today. In the studio, we have uh, Craig Eaton, 10 years, GOP chairman of Brooklyn, uh, and Lydia Serrani, my sidekick. And on the phone, uh, we have Judge Weinberg, who's on vacation this week. Uh, a common sense Democrat. How's the vacation, uh, Judge Weinberg? Vacation is fine. Keeping up with the news, listening to WABC. Well, that sounds pretty good. I mean, uh, where else can you find out what the heck is going on? And yesterday exactly on right. on Labor uh, on Labor Day on Fourth uh, of July, we were the only ones with a live show in the morning. Wow. Great. And uh, uh, we have a great show. First of all, we're going to have the Brooklyn District Attorney, Eric Gonzalez. He'll be joining us in studio about 530. We'll also be speaking to Kathy Wilds of the New York City Partnership Alliance. And she's got some breaking news that she's going to tell us about. We are also going to be speaking with former NYPD Deputy Commissioner Gary McCarthy on the tragic shooting in Chicago. What's the latest on that? But first on the line, we have Professor Alan Dershowitz, just a couple of decades at Harvard Law School. He's a constitutional scholar, expert, a Brooklyn boy at heart, and it's Tuesday. So that means it's uh, welcome to Professor Alan Dershowitz. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm good. Today's also the day my newest book comes out. It's called The Price of Principle. Well, integrity is worth the consequences. And it tells the story about how I've been canceled because I stick to my principles and refuse to become a partisan hack. So that's my, my newest, my 50th book, my 50th wow. book. 50 and books. It gets, a, wow. it gets that's a commendation from the president of Israel who says, mazel tov to Alan for his important 50th book. So I'm really pleased today. You got me in a good mood. <laughs> Tell us what the heck is going on in Washington. There's so many things. I don't know where to begin. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, by the way, Talk about Israel. Ben and Jerry's is suing their parent company for selling the Israeli division of uh, Ben and Jerry's. I'd be happy to represent them. My friend Nat Lewin, uh, who's a great lawyer in Washington, is the one who helped arrange the deal. Now, you know, Ben and Jerry is a bigoted company. It sells a terrible, fattening ice cream. They buy their chocolate and their sugar from countries that exploit child labor. They're a horrible, horrible group, you know, led by two guys, Jewish kids from Brooklyn who wanted to solve the problems of the world by moving to Vermont where there are no problems. You know, there are no racial problems. There are no other problems. Uh, These are these escapists like, you know, Sanders and Ben and Jerry. I have nothing but contempt for them. You know, real people from Brooklyn stay in Brooklyn or move to New York or maybe go to Cambridge, Massachusetts. But Vermont, 
to solve the problems in the world, and they think they're going to solve them by making a fatty, high-cholesterol ice cream, which probably killed more people than Yasser Arafat. Mm. Wow. Uh, Judge, you have a couple of questions for the uh, for uh, Mr. Hi. Dershowitz. Yeah. Alan, hi there. There are a few things I want to talk to you about. Number number one, I want to ask you about the uh, Trump policy, Remain in Mexico, being set aside by the Supreme Court. What are your thoughts about that, both uh, from a legal perspective as well as a public policy perspective? Well, you know, I think a lot of people misunderstand what the Supreme Court did this term. I'm actually talking about it today on, on my own podcast. Most of the decisions in the Supreme Court, not necessarily the abortion one, had more to do with process. Uh, for example, the environmental protection one, it didn't have anything to do with climate control. It had to do with whether administrative agencies get to make the rules or Congress gets to make the rules. I think the same thing was true with the border issue. It was really a question of allocating a power and responsibility. The Supreme Court tends to make more decisions about who should decide than what should be decided. And mostly the media just looks at what's decided, even the abortion case. They didn't decide whether abortions are good or bad or constitutional or legal. All they said is it's, it's up to the states, and the states have to make their own decisions. So that's what the Supreme Court tends to do. And if you look beneath the actual decision, you tend to see more who decides than what is decided. Right, because with the Remain in Mexico policy, basically all the Supreme Court said was that Biden could overturn a previous, his predecessor's uh, executive order, exactly. because that's what it was. And the same thing and, with the EPA case and Roe v. Wade. The, well, the professor is right. 100% right. Right, and Congress can overrule almost all of them. I mean, Roe versus Wade, we're not sure. There's an article in today's Wall Street Journal that says, no, Congress can't really reinstate Roe versus Wade under the Commerce Clause. There are constitutional scholars that think it can. But I think most of the Supreme Court decisions this term have basically said to Congress, stop being lazy, stop kicking these issues over to the executive and to the uh, administrative agencies. Decide the case. Make the decision yourself. If you think the EPA is not doing what they should do, pass a law deciding what should be done with the environment. The Supreme Court will uphold that, but it won't uphold an administrative agency's making rules which Congress ought to make. So these are really, this is really an, a, an attack on Congress for not doing enough. Now, you know, Congress is stuck. There's still a filibuster for some areas. Um, they don't uh, move quickly enough. Oh, two people, Pelosi and Schumer, can control the docket. So I think the, the subtle message of the Supreme Court is Congress, act, work, do the work, don't give it to us. Professor, this is Craig Eaton from Brooklyn. Um, I have a Hi. question for you. We hear a lot about what's going to happen with this with the Supreme Court. Um, there's nine justices. The White House wants to change it to 13. I mean, this is a situation where the president isn't happy with what's happening with the court, so he just wants to change the rules. What are we hearing on that? Well, so far, Biden hasn't gone along with uh, Lawrence Tribe. Now, Lawrence Tribe has Biden's ear through Kane, the uh, the uh, guy who's in, in the White House, um, and and Tribe wants to expand the court. Of course, if the Democrats expand the court to 13, as soon as the Republicans get control, they'll expand it to 17, and the Democrats 21. And before long, we'll have to have the Supreme Court sitting in Yankee Stadium when they're away. Uh, <laughs> there'll be so many justices, because uh, every time somebody changes control, they can add justices in order to maintain 
temporary control over the Supreme Court. That's not the way the framers of our Constitution wanted it to be. And we would dishonor, we would be dishonoring Madison and Hamilton and July 4th if we manipulated the Supreme Court to try to achieve the results we wanted it to achieve. Look, I'm a big fan of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and history has rebuked him for trying to block, to uh, pack the court. Uh, even even people who supported him on everything didn't support him on that. So, and uh, even I don't think even Biden, Alan, even Biden at one time said it was the worst thing that uh, Roosevelt had done. I, I think he may stick to that. I don't think he's going to push for uh, court packing. Um, and you know. This was not the worst term the Supreme Court ever had in terms of civil liberties. They've had much worse terms uh, over the years when, they, when a liberal court affirmed the detention of 110,000 American citizens of Japanese descent, when a liberal court with Justice Brandeis going along allowed thousands of people to be sterilized because they allegedly were unfit. Uh, you know, there have been such bad decisions by the Supreme Court over the years. And so even if you disagree with all the decisions this term at the Supreme Court, nobody could disagree with all of them. For example, they wrote a couple of liberal decisions on criminal justice with six to three votes and seven to two votes. So the idea of junking the court and the idea of Elizabeth Warren attacking the members of the Supreme Court and Schumer basically threatening the Supreme Court, that's not the right approach. The pendulum swings, you win some, you lose some. Who knows what next term will bring? Well, I think a proper thing would be packing the court because that's what they want to do. He just wants to try yeah. and pack the court with the people he wants. Just like is, they're trying to pack the country with the voters yeah. they want. Professor Dershowitz, I have a question for you. Governor Hochul, she just signed new expansive gun control legislation. Clearly, this was a move in direct response to what the Supreme Court decided in that New York gun case. Right. Is that is that even legal? Uh, and then also she's yeah, and then she's also saying that they want to look back on people's social media for three years, which I actually happen to agree with. We don't want somebody who's a wacko getting their hands on a gun. However, who is going to be the one deciding whether or not this person's social media is concerning? Will they be specifically targeting conservatives? So I just well, there's a lot really, of questions here. Look, the the Supreme Court struck down the New York law because it was too discretionary. It gave to administrators the right to determine. Who really is in danger and who's not in danger? And what the majority of the Supreme Court said is, we're not saying you can't uh, prevent people from getting handguns. All we have, all we're saying is, be clear, make objective standards. For example, if you have to be 21, I think the Supreme Court will uphold that. Um, and I, what they tried to do in, in, in Albany is write a statute that came within the parameters of the holding. Now. The holding of the Supreme Court is very narrow, just that New York law is too vague. The language of the Supreme Court was very broad, essentially analogizing the Second Amendment to the First Amendment. And we know you can't have serious restrictions on freedom of speech. So there's a big difference between what the court said and what the court did. And I don't blame uh, the governor of New York for trying to pass reasonable legislation. And we'll have to see if the court upholds it. I think they will. And, Alan, there's another case that the Supreme Court just granted certiorari on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By by the way, we have uh, in the studio with us uh, uh, District District Attorney uh, Eric Gonzalez from uh, uh, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. 
and another yeah. Brooklyn guy. Yeah. We got Gershowitz from I Brooklyn. Hear, we have Gonzalez uh, from Brooklyn. We have Craig Eaton from Brooklyn. You got me from the Bronx and you from Harlem. We're, we're set. <laughs> yeah. okay. And then the judges from Queens, thing. basically, we'll Brooklyn say. Brooklyn wins. Brooklyn wins tonight. Uh, uh, Sorry, uh, uh, D.A. Gonzalez, D.A. Gonzalez, uh, what uh, Governor Hochul says, people with carry permits cannot go to Times Square. Any opinion on that? We know that the police department is very concerned about adding more guns uh, in our city and the ability to, you know, control gun violence. And, you know, I came on today, John, to talk a little bit about the work that I'm doing in Brooklyn to stop violence, a new initiative uh, that we're um, doing in Brooklyn, adding prosecutors to the fighting gun violence. And, you know, there's a lot of concern about, um, but, but these people with permits, uh, the FBI says 97% of those people, they never commit a crime with their gun. Yeah, I, I think that in New York, it's definitely under the prior uh, laws. It's been very restrictive and, and, and good people have uh, guns. I, you know, I have some concerns about young uh, folks who are involved in gang and gun uh, violence, who may see this as an opportunity Mm -hmm. to arm up. Yeah, by the way, I hear great things about the district attorney of Brooklyn from my friends, both prosecutors and defense attorneys. And you don't often get consensus from both sides that the DA is doing a great job. So I just want to congratulate you. And as a Brooklyn boy, proud of the work you're doing to try to stop crime within due process and be fair to defendants at the same time that you protect our citizens. So congratulations, and may you go from strength to strength. Eric Gonzalez, you've been certified by uh, Professor uh, Dershowitz from Harvard, 50 years at Harvard. Uh I've read his books, so it's an honor. Uh Just has a new one came out today. The price of principle. So I just saw this on the New York Post. According to them, Eric Adams' aide mugged at gunpoint. Eric Adams' oh aide? God. Yes, one of his oh top aides. God. This is according to the New York to the New York Post, and uh, he was the mugged aide, in broad daylight Tuesday while scouting a location in Brooklyn for a planned visit by the mayor. Law enforcement sources tell oh, the wow. Post. Let's go to the horse. It's true. It's true. Wow! Breaking news. A appears to be a you know a display of a handgun involved and. The person was targeted and pushed to the ground, and the, a, a gun was visible to him in the person's waistband, and they uh, took his cell phone and his wallet. Wow. I hope you catch him, and I hope he doesn't ask me to defend him. Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to definitely uh, do everything in our power to, to find these guys. Two two people. One rode off on the city bike. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we're all lucky here. We have a great NYPD. If you think about all the crimes we've had in the last few months, I mean, they've apprehended these yeah, criminals. But I, I, have, I have a carry permit. You mean I can't go to Times Square? Not with in, in other words, I'm not going to take my son or daughter with me to Times Square. But, John, you've got to look at the list. The list is so restrictive. You can't, you can't go to churches. You can't go to baseball games. You can't go to Times Square. I mean, so what are you going to do? Where can you carry it? Uh, and, and Professor Dershowitz, you think that would be shot down by the Supreme Court? I don't know. It depends how restrictive it is. I mean, of course, you can go to Times Square. You just can't bring your gun. Uh, You know, I think they'll uphold it in Yankee Stadium. I think they'll uphold it for uh, some areas. Times Square, probably not. 
Times Square is too open, too broad. And by the way, it doesn't even have boundaries. What does what is Times Square? Does it go beyond Sixth Avenue? You know, does it go to 53rd Street? It's I, I, I don't think they'll uphold the Times Square ban, but I think they would uphold a ban for. So are we going to get down to doing it item by item by item? I mean, the Supreme well, Court is not meant to do that. Well, the court wants it to be specific. It wants to take the discretion away from administrators and make sure the legislature passes the laws and says where it can be carried and where it can't be carried. Then the court will analyze it. But the previous law, you know, which goes back a long, long time, gave enormous discretion to uh, people. And the discretion may have been used in improper ways. And that's what the court was really focused on in its holding. The language went way beyond that. Well, Professor Dershowitz, thank you for coming on today. God bless you and God bless America. Thank you. Thank you so much. You too. Right. On the line with us now? Right now we have with us uh, a former Deputy, Deputy Commissioner. Commissioner Gary McCarthy of the NYPD, and he's going to talk to us about what's going on. And in- now, then he went to Newark, and then he went to Chicago, and now he's in a uh, in a he did too good of a job in Chicago, I understand. He did <laughs> such a good job, the mayor, uh, the mayor forced him out. Right. <laughs> now, I understand that it's double. When you left, now there's double the, the murder rate in, in Chicago? Yeah, that's true. So the, the poor that. kids we were, we of Chicago breaking. are dying because the mayor asked you to leave because you were doing too good of a job. Well, I, I guess that's one way to look at it, but it, it had to do with politics rather than performance. That's the bottom line. We were we were breaking 400 murders going down, and Chicago last year recorded 800 murders. Which you don't have to be a, a rocket scientist. And, and, and it's the poor. It's, it's, the, it's 100. It's, it's the poor uh, black and brown kids that are dying in Chicago, and the mayor uh, is not doing her job. Yeah, 85 percent of our victims are, are uh, African American in general. Commissioner and, uh, McCarthy. So I, I got to I got to bring this up to you about in Chicago regarding that Highland Park shooting. So I just saw this right. breaking that back in 2019, police confiscated numerous knives and a sword from the Highland Park parade shooter after he told a family member he was going to kill everyone. So this is That's according right. to the police. Why is a guy like this? I mean, he obtained a gun legally. He had numerous knives in his sword. Why? Why wasn't he put away? I mean, this person was clearly disturbed. Well, you don't get put away for being disturbed. You get treated. And and I believe that's what happened in that case. But this goes back to something that we've been talking about. Um, years ago, uh, President Obama, after Sandy Hook, tried to, tried to start this red flag issue with um, gun ownership, where terrorists, criminals, and people who have mental issues uh, wouldn't be allowed where if this guy in 2019 um, was determined to have some problems, he was suicidal, you don't give a suicidal person a gun, right? So in this case, uh, he took it out on other people. And this just didn't have to happen. And if this red flag issue uh, was passed back then when it was brought up to the Senate and didn't get off the Senate floor, uh, we wouldn't have had this massacre. You know, I got to tell you this, just a a couple of things. There was was an incident that happened, I believe it was Shanghai, China, some years ago, where uh, a guy kind of went crazy with a sword, and he cut 50 people. And you know how many died? Zero. 
Um, so that's one example. But the, the second thing is, you know, somebody asked me if I'm anti-Second Amendment. And the answer is no, I'm not. But the interpretation of the Second Amendment needs to be clarified. First of all, it was it was in my it, it, the the mindset was regarding a smooth bore, muzzle loading, single shot flintlock rifle, not regarding AK-47s. And if the if the right to bear arms includes weapons of war, which is AK-47s and AR-15s, which were created for combat. Why aren't they selling hand grenades and bazookas over the over the counter at Walmart? Because it's unreasonable, and it's just as unreasonable to have high-powered rifles. Um, and they haven't clarified, to my knowledge, what type of rifle it was. You know, this high-powered rifle has thirty or sixes bolt actions that you take and you go deer hunting and you shoot deer five rounds. You know, a big difference between that and and a thirty-round magazine, or in some cases, drum magazine carrying a hundred rounds. It just doesn't make sense that that is sold in a civilized society. Brooklyn uh, D.A. Gonzalez, your response? Any any comments? I mean, I think uh, Commissioner is dead on. We need to do a better job in identifying people who have mental health histories who are a threat to us. Uh, it's one of the tremendous failings that we've had as a society, um, not dealing and discussing mental illness and uh restricting uh, access to firearms for people who can't safely own them. And, you know, this is obviously a very delicate issue. um, But uh, one of the things that, you know, we have now in New York State is an enhanced, you know, red flag law to allow people to, um, and and requiring for the first time that prosecutors and others uh, take active steps to get guns out of the hands of people who are dealing with, you know, serious clinical medical uh, issues and mental health issues. And until we do that, um, we'll see more of these mass shootings. Uh, I believe that, you know, we're never going to restrict gun ownership uh, effectively in, in this country, and people don't want to do that. And so we we definitely need to uh, focus in on who should not be allowed to have these guns. But people can't fall off those, these watch lists, and that's what happens. Or you'll see the FBI has an intervention, and then two years later they've fallen off, and now they've committed a yeah, shooting. Absolutely right, uh, DA, uh, because uh, if somebody goes on the crap list, mm-hmm. you can't just have them fall off. Because, you know, it just – a guy like this should have never been able and, to get a gun. And when people are mentally ill, you got to have them on the watch list if, the, if you're not permanently. But how did they know? See, that's the problem. He fell through the cracks. How does the gun shop know that he has a mental illness? Where were the red flag laws? Where were the red flags? And, you know, what is the stipulation? You, can, you can't just go around and say you're mentally ill and you're mentally ill or you have to be admitted into a psychiatric hospital. But the bottom line is these people should not have been killed right, la- like last this. Last question. Then we have to go to break. Last question from uh, Craig Eaton. I just had one question. I mean, I understand, you know, that everyone has a right to bear arms, but there should be a limit as to what type of guns they can purchase. They shouldn't be able to purchase AR-15s, assault rifles, and weapons like that. There should be a limitation on that. I mean, the governor just raised the the age to 21 to buy AR-15s. A 21-year-old shouldn't have an AR-15. I'm sorry. That's my opinion. No, you're not wrong. You know, or somebody who is in the military, at least, or law enforcement. In the milita- law enforcement or military is something different. But you know what? You want to have a gun? Go buy a handgun. Go buy a rifle. You want you want to go and um, hunt? That's fine. But you shouldn't have assault rifles and assault weapons in people's hands. 
Is the, are we destined for a civil war in our country? Well, you know, we're looking outside. You have great, the studio has great windows here. And you look around, you see, you know, hundreds of people walking around. I mean, you know, conceivably we can have 75 of those people walking around with guns a few months from now. You're, you're not and that wrong. Just, and that just, you know, if, if two people have a gun and they get into an argument, there's more of a chance there's going to be gun violence than if they're not armed. You know, it's horrible that you have like 99% of people that own guns legally are responsible gun owners, would never do something like this. But all it takes is this one wacko to ruin it for yeah. everybody. And if you if you can just save at least well, one life, then it's, maybe it's worth there it. There was a statistic this morning that I heard maybe the DA knows about that three there, this year, 308 multiple murder crimes have been committed. You know, I guess three or more people. Right. Yep. And and yeah, the number no. grows every year. It it yeah, doesn't sure even it, it doesn't even make the news on a daily basis unless the body count has reached a, a really high number. Uh, three or more people uh, are is considered a mass shooting, and we have that virtually. You know, we'll have several hundred of them this year alone. We had 52 people shot in New York City over this 4th of July holiday weekend alone. Keep it right here. We're going to come back with D.A. Gonzalez, and if, we're going to keep uh, Gary McCarthy on the line. Right, John? Or we're, we're... If he likes to stay on. No, we're, we're, yeah, we're I'm, that. Sure. I'm sure. Okay, so let's take the break. And... <laughs> A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Do we have our next guest on the line yet? No. Oh, we're, we're talking to D.A. Gonzalez. I, th- I didn't know. Oh, that's right. We're waiting 10 more minutes. That's right. Because we we will be speaking with Kathy Wild, Governor David Patterson. We have Judge Weinberg on the line. And we have District Attorney Gonzalez here in studio from Brooklyn. Tell us about your latest initiative to keep our streets safe. And Craig Eaton, you read it. I read it. It sounds like a great plan. Tell us all about it, D.A. Well, Gun violence is obviously the issue that everyone is dealing with across the country. Uh, My office has really doubled down on what we've been doing in Brooklyn to reduce gun violence. You know, last year, Brooklyn was the only borough that saw a reduction in both homicides and shootings. We were down nearly 20 percent in shootings um, and we were down, you know, about 15 percent in homicides. And so we've made some progress. We want to kind of continue to do this. So. Part of that is just, you know, focusing in on the problem and the things that we know work as solutions. So we've hired more prosecutors to work on gun violence cases. Uh, but we've started to make really historic investments in our office in uh, intelligence sharing capacity and capabilities to win cases at trial. So we we created a – and it's kind of as a first of its kind – a lab that's in the office. It's a digital evidence lab that allows us to uh, target um, people who are trafficking guns and get into hard drives and social media sites and including cell phone breaking in. Uh, those ADAs that work there and the analysts that work there are focusing directly on gun violence. We also create a ghost gun unit. Uh, it's an increasingly uh, big problem in the city. It's uh, We're finding ghost guns now at crime scenes and being used in shootings. Uh, and as we talk about, you know, is that something new? I, you know, uh, up to about six months ago, I've never heard of the word ghost gun. Yeah, because they've become very easy now, John. Uh, before you needed a lot of technological savvy to build them. Uh, now, with mail order parts, you can really build them 
if you're like, you know, a Boy Scout, you can probably build one now. They come in prefabricated and, and you just kind of have to put the pieces together. Uh, and that they don't have serial numbers and they're, they're dangerous. But what the big thing is, you know, a couple of years ago, NYPD seized about 17 ghost guns in the city. So it wasn't considered a problem. They're up 400 percent this year. Um, from other years, and it continues to grow. But more importantly, we're starting to see them at crime scenes. And uh, because those guns are out there, they could be uh, fabricated to be AK-47s or handguns, um, so really dangerous guns because you don't know who's building them um, and how they're being distributed. You know, they're not coming the traditional way. So uh, even the FBI, uh, ATF, can't go back and trace them. And they're not metal, so you can't pick them up on a metal detector either, correct? Well, there's types that – Some of them are plastic some, or – Some of them are being made on 3D printers, yeah. uh, but others are just being uh, done by uh, acquiring the parts online and then building them. D.A. Gonzalez, this uh, Mayor Adams aide that was mugged in broad daylight in Brooklyn, say if this person is caught, you guys are thoroughly looking for two individuals and they appear before a judge, would they be held without bail or w- what would happen to these people potentially? Say if they don't have an open felony case against them. Assuming that they're ad- uh, adults and, and not juveniles, the different rules for juveniles, but assuming that they're adults who committed this act, um, they would go before a judge. And uh, because they committed an armed robbery, they would be eligible for bail. Uh, but it would be discretionary, of course, by the judge whether or not to you know, set bail in that case. Are you frustrated by by this whole process? Because, I mean, if you're committing a violent crime, to me, that's violent. Somebody doesn't have to be hurt. But if I'm held up at gunpoint, I will I am traumatized. Do you think people like that should I I understand we shouldn't have people like Khalif Browder who had a backpack? I mean, that died in, in Rikers. That's horrific. But these violent criminals like John talks about all the time, should there 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 needs to be some sort of. Uh, reaction. There needs to be something that they are held accountable for their their actions and not just let go. Yeah, listen, this is pretty clear and it's common sense, right? People want our elected officials and and law enforcement to exercise common sense and people who are dangerous, uh, you know, they need to be prevented from hurting others. Uh, These cases are bail eligible but you'll, you know, obviously you'll see that some of these cases um, bail is not set, and it's not, it's not clear why. Uh, but I've been a big proponent, uh, and I, I know that John knows this, a big proponent of giving judges discretion. Uh, my enforcement strategies really depend on focusing in on drivers of crime, and so whoever those drivers are, uh, we need to be able to control them. They have to have discretion. If the judge has no discretion. Then, then what is he doing? What, what options does he have? Are they confused? Gary McCarthy, what, do you have any questions for the Brooklyn District Attorney or any questions regarding, I mean, we're seeing, what, th- over over 300 mass shootings alone here in, in the United States? I mean, what is going on in our country at this point? Well, I, I don't really have questions for the, for the DA. Um, I'm just, I just want to give him a clap on the back because those are the types of strategies that we've used over the years that always work. When you work hand-in-hand with prosecutors, when you use uh, timely, accurate intelligence, like we always talk about in the CompStat process, when we talk about, um, you know, focusing on the right people at the right place at the right times, that's how New York got to the place that it got to before we kind of lost it over the last few years. And that's the handbook that we developed under under our previous Mayor Giuliani and 
Police Commissioner Bill Bratton, that we've taken across the country. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of us who ended up leaving the NYPD and going to other places and running uh, different organizations, having great success. Uh, and, and it's not because we were any better. It's because we had a plan that was tried and true. And what the DA is talking about is really at the core of, of you know, how we do these things. Um, and sometimes uh, it's just about getting back to basics, which certainly here in Chicago has been lost. And Gary, more concerned about self-preservation than they are doing law enforcement. Gary, one of the other problems uh, we have in New York is all our senior policemen are uh, are leaving. Right. I mean, have you heard anything from uh, your old friends and contacts? Um, You know, it's it's funny. I. uh, I had to go to a funeral some months ago. Uh, I'm sure you remember Joe Esposito. Uh, his wife passed away, and it was like a who's yeah. who of of the old guard. And there were really only one or two uh, people from my generation. And I came on in 1981, so I'm actually a real old person now. But um, only one or two guys from my generation of making captain and then ascending the ladder to the top of the department who were left around. Uh, most of the other folks I really didn't even know. Um, so that's been going on for a little while. Um, I think there comes, there comes a point where when you have administration changes, people end up leaving, which opens up gates for other people to move ahead. Um, and that, that's really been the pattern. And, uh, you know, since I left, uh, we've had Mayor de Blasio, and then we've had uh, Eric Adams now. So that's a couple of generations ago that I was still there. None of those guys are really left around except for one or two of them. And now we have on the line with us Kathy Wild. She is currently the president and CEO of the Partnership for New York City. It's a not-for-profit that advocates for the city and state government on behalf of large businesses and their ultimate bottom line. Kathy Wild, I know you have been a really strong supporter of getting the city safe, and you've been working hands-in-hand with the district attorney here at Gonzalez. Tell us uh, what else you've been doing. Well, specifically, I want to say that the DAs are really important partners in this effort, and I'm glad that you have my DA, I'm a Brooklyn resident, Eric Gonzalez on, because he is just a highly credible voice on the issues that are troubling us now, and we're anxious to have his voice and that of the other district attorneys heard and have their help in guiding the business community on how we can advocate for a safer city. Yeah, Kathy has been, uh, and the partnership has been been very important as we've, uh, you know, struggled uh, with some of the things that have hampered uh, enforcement in the city. Uh, one of the things that, you know, has been a, a big issue for us in, you know, in the district attorney's office is how the time frame and the onerous uh, discovery laws. And, uh, you know, it's been yeah. a real uh, importance that, you know, this got elevated that the business community also understands that when some of these things have really hampered, um, you know, the prosecutor's office and have actually um, caused an exodus from DA's offices uh, because the DA's don't feel that they can uh, effectively uh, keep their witnesses and victims safe. Well, I mean, the, the, what the legislature did is they handcuffed the prosecutors, they handcuffed the district attorneys, they handcuffed the police officers, and they've handcuffed the judges. So what we need to do is we need to change. We need the laws to change. 
And I think a lot of the legislators realize after they did this and they saw the increase in crime that they made a mistake. And They're, I think they need to go back and they need to change it. But we had on Andrew Stewart. We've had them on. They don't believe yeah. that. They say, show us the data. They don't they don't. I don't think they're understanding. No, that, those are the leaders. But I'm talking right. about oh. the rank and file senators and assembly members. I think they realize because they're in the community. They see what's happening. But they don't they don't have the courage to stand up and say enough is enough. Yeah. Bail reform needed to be reformed. I, I think we can all agree, but I think it went, the I'm, pendulum swung way too far left. I am worried about violent crimes. I'm not worried about the guy that steals, steals a loaf of bread. Violent crimes, organized crimes, where they go into CVS or Rite Aid and, and they steal $1,000 worth of merchandise. Mm-hmm. But, but unlike but other states, John, in New York, in New York, the, the the laws have changed, and the judge cannot take into consideration the harm a defendant may pose to others when setting bail. And they can't even, only in New York. And only they can't even t- take into effect their repeat offenses, correct? Yeah. Or, I mean, there's just so many stipulations. And, of course, if well, they're a juvenile. Let, because the DA, actually, in the last couple months, there's been progress on that issue of the, of the robberies in CV, et cetera. Uh, correct, Eric? Yes. Yeah, so I wanted to actually say that um, and acknowledge that, you know, uh, under Governor Hochul and in the, uh, the last legislative session that we did get improvements to both the bail law and the discovery laws. And, uh, you know, it's been a, a help. And so for the first time now since uh, this last legislative session, when someone is out on bail uh, or out on a case and commits a new crime, that they can be considered for bail when um, previously they would not, they would can continue to commit the crime without bail being eligible. So there's been some changes to the law that have been very favorable. And, and I think you're starting to see that at least in Brooklyn, you know, we, we, we're seeing our numbers uh, continue to go down. The summer is the most dangerous time in New York city. You know, 50% of gun violence happens between June and August and so we have to continue to really double down on these strategies um, and including the things that I talk about as Brooklyn DA is not ignoring the things that make people feel unsafe. It's not just the actual violence, John, but it's the things that make people feel unsafe. I wasn't aware of those changes, but that sounds optimistic. Yeah, and, and I think that was because people came big, together. Kathy, go ahead. The big, I've spoken to several of the, of the big drugstore chain owners where you know, where there was such a focus on uh, smash and grab robberies and they said there have been over 340 arrests um, that have stuck in the five boroughs um, so they they see this is since January they're seeing progress I'm seeing it on my end too Kathy I'm seeing you know that uh, in the past often um, shop owners and business um, people were told there's nothing to be done. And now there's a renewed effort to go back and solve those cases and bring it forward. D.A. Gonzalez, we're also hearing about a mass exodus of a lot of attorneys, not not in your office, district but attorneys? district attorneys from various offices because they're inundated because of this discovery process that it's almost impossible to bring a case to trial because you've got to have this and that and this piece of video does that need some sort of reform? Because we have to also be realistic. You guys are juggling multiple cases. Well, after the backlog of cases because of COVID and the courts being closed for such a long time, um, when the floodgates opened, uh, prosecutors were being asked to collect you know, all of this discovery within really t- uh, 
you know, small time frames, or the case could get dismissed. And what we saw happening was that prosecutors would be missing one or two documents and the case would get dismissed. And that was heartbreaking for people who came into this job because they care about victims and they care about public safety. That kind of helped, you know, really lead to an exodus in offices. It is one of the changes, however, that we got in this past legislative session so that those cases wouldn't automatically be dismissed. We're going to have to take a break. Everybody, please stay on, and we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back to talk about crime in New York. And I'm going to ask D.A. Gonzalez, what is the safest borough? And let's <laughs> take a break. Let's take a break, and we'll be right back. Spoiler alert. John Katz and the Well, we're back, and uh, D.A. Gonzalez, is Brooklyn the safest borough? In terms of violence reduction, Brooklyn is really going through a renaissance in terms of you know reducing the, the, the most violent of crimes. But we have a lot of struggles. Robberies are up uh, about 38%, and uh, burglaries are up you know, a little bit over 25%. So uh, there's a lot of work to be done in our borough. But people are moving in. It's, you know, uh, we see that it's one of the only places in, in the city where there's more people moving into the borough. Um, and I think that ultimately there's, you know, Brooklyn has a lot of communities and it really feels like home. And, and I think that we're going to see that Brooklyn gets safer because uh, when people care about where they live and they have that investment, they're not going to allow these we're, uh, conditions. We're over 100 percent rented in all our properties in Brooklyn. You're welcome, so Brooklyn's John. Doing very <laughs> You're well welcome, us. John. But we're, we're, thank you. But we, it, it is in the area where you know we look at these things very carefully, and then um, part of the Stop Violence program is to work with the police to figure out who's committing the crime and uh, making those arrests. Kathy, while uh, you have been up to Albany multiple times, any hope up there? Well, I do think that Kathy Hochul and Mayor Adams, their relationship uh, is strong. They're on the same page to the issues we're talking about. And so I think we've got a unified leadership there. And again, I think with the district attorneys uh, being willing to speak out, as Eric has, on discovery and the issues surrounding not necessarily you know it's not bail that's the problem it's it's the whole whole set of issues where the legislature is overly prescriptive they they just are why do they have to decide every issue about each crime, what you commit, how much, whether or not you're bail eligible, whether you're, I mean, it, the legislature is just overreaching, and this has been going on for a while. Uh, are and they getting, something- you know, everybody's yelling and screaming. Uh, there's a war going on in Brooklyn with the common sense uh, Democrats versus the woke Democrats. Uh, and I think the, the, the district leaders ended up being 22 22. AOC. Of the nine assembly candidates she backed, she lost seven. Uh, and uh, David Patterson was in the New York Post and was on, on my show on, on Sunday. She, and I said, the rise and fall of AOC. And uh, Governor Patterson, who will be with us in a few minutes, he said that she never really rose. She didn't deserve to have the publicity she had. 
crickets. Nobody. Well, I mean, I don't well, know where she, she, she where she, she came from, but we, she we did know rise. Why, she did rise. Yeah, but, we, but we know how she won her seat. But I think I think it was the, an the rank absentee and, candidate, basically. The rank and file Democratic legislators are now realizing that there's no substance there. And, and they realize that the streets are getting more dangerous and they need to do something. About well, we saw what happened with Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. She was in Minnesota. It was like 15,000 Somali people out there. And they're the ones who put her in office. Yet when she was on stage, they booed. They said, get out of here because they said she doesn't represent their interests. And I think that's what's happening with AOC. She said all the right things. She had the right name. She's got the right look. She's got the social media thing. She's very articulate. She's a beautiful girl. But at the end of the day, her what she's pushing for is, is not representing representative of her constituents they they don't want to defund the police they a want lot more of people police. in the democratic party said there's an internal struggle going on for the soul of the democratic party and uh, uh governor patterson you're on the line you made quite a few headlines with your what did you say about aoc the phantom aoc is like the phantom of the media to compete with the phantom of the opera mm. the phantom <laughs> of the opera really existed but, the, you know, it, I don't blame uh, AOC for necessarily taking advantage of that. But what I do think is that there are sometimes people who are ineffective, and yet they get a lot of publicity. And the more you feed the beast, the more it terrorizes people. AOC, right on our show, John, the, I guess it was a week or two ago, was accused of stopping the Amazon deal. She did not stop the Amazon deal. The Queens Democrats did because the governor never told them that he was putting it in their district. So it's these kinds of folk tales that uh, allow for this to happen. By the way, one uh, quick point here. The legislature in 2019 did not really restrict the uh, authority of judges any more than it already had been. It was restricted in 1972. What they failed to do was to follow states like California and New Jersey which were the last of the three states to give judges the discretion of of finding that they think there's a potential for dangerousness of uh, remanding and not allowing bail. And uh, D.A. Gonzalez is our guest in the uh, studio. Uh, D.A., you have the last word on how you feel about uh, things. I'm confident that uh, this city is going to focus in and other Mayor Adams is going to focus in on uh, reducing uh, violence. In fact, the mayor invited me tomorrow to speak to residents in northern Brooklyn where we've seen the real influx of violence about the strategies that we're going to deploy and we're going to work uh, with stakeholders and including our violence interrupters to drive down some of that violence. And I think that some of those things go under the radar. People don't realize that these efforts are happening. Uh, The mayor hasn't, um, in my opinion, taken uh, enough of credit for some of the things that have been reduced. I mean, there's been some reduction in violence in the city under his leadership. And, um, you know, uh, most residents don't feel it. And uh, we're not getting that message out. But, you know, it's it's important for me to say, as as D.A., Halfway through this year, uh, Brooklyn was down last year about 20 percent, and we're down 17 percent this year in in addition to what we did last year uh, on gun violence. And so that message has to get out, and I think the mayor has to do a better job in letting people know that there's a lot of work to be done and people do feel unsafe. 
but that the numbers are starting to move in the right direction. D.A. Gonzalez, I have a question maybe for you to answer or maybe the former deputy commissioner of the NYPD, Gary McCarthy, can answer. Maybe this is a stupid question. We know where do you guys know where the guns are? Why why not allow the police to be more proactive instead of being reactive to a shooting? We know where the gangs are. We know where the guns are. We know where the, the you know, the drugs are all happening and all this is going on. Why not allow the police to do their jobs more proactively? Well, I'm going to jump in because that's part of stop violence. I'm okay. here to, to talk about the ghost gun unit is there to proactively um, prevent these guns from being manufactured in our city. Uh, we're hitting search warrants. We're getting the printers. We're, we're disrupting. But are a those... large percentage of these crimes, these shootings, like the, the 52 people that were shot committed by ghost guns, or is that just a small you know, percentage? It, it's, the, it's the sentiment that they can go um, unchallenged and, and you know, build these guns and sell them on our streets. Uh, we have to do more with ATF on trafficking of guns from the iron pipeline. But there's that sense that you have to have enforcement actions. And, and the ghost gun unit, um, and by the way, Queens also, DA uh, Melinda Katz, has a very effective ghost gun unit in her in her office as well. And together we're taking hundreds of guns off the streets. And Gary McCarthy, what do you think about yeah. police being more proactive? Well, first of all, I started to say it before, but, you know, everybody's uh, getting in here and, and – with good comments, I might add. But um, here in Chicago, for sure, officers are less interested in doing enforcement and more interested in protecting their pensions, their families, and their mortgages right now because the war on police has now turned violent across the country, certainly here in Chicago. They're opening police officers' car doors and throwing fireworks into the cars, which are wrapped with nails. Those are those are projectiles oh, and grenades. There was an assassination attempt last week where somebody called 9-11 with a call for service and ambushed the officer as the door to the elevator opened up. And what's happening is, unfortunately, in listening to the conversation, great points, but I think we could boil it down to our legislators are trying to legislate good policing and policy, which they don't know what they're doing, first of all. And second of all, their interests don't necessarily work as far as reducing crime so that what's happening is we're hamstringing the police and we are strengthening the criminal element in this country. We, we have Everywhere. one minute left and uh, uh, you're our guest, uh, Diego Gonzalez. You get last word. Well, we, we, we have to continue the good fight. And I'm, like I said, I'm confident in uh, my ability in Brooklyn to work with the police department and work with our violence interrupters and others who want to prevent violence. And we're going to continue to see that in the city. Um, and I'm going to make sure that the people of Brooklyn know that, uh, you know, I'm not sleeping at the wheel. Well, thank you, Diego Gonzalez, for being here in the studio with us. And Craig Eaton, thank you, Lydia Serrani. On the phone, thank you, uh, Judge Weinberg, uh, Gary McCarthy, former deputy commissioner, uh, Kathy Wild, thank you so much. And what do we stand for? Truth, justice, justice and, the, and the American way. God bless. God bless America. 
This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 